Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this church family. And Lord, we really do thank you for those, those children and those parents who are dedicating those children today. Lord, we ask that you would bless them, that you would put supernatural favor on their lives, that you would, you would give them wisdom. You would give them insight into even like the individualness and the uniqueness of each child. I even pray that, you know, the Lord would show you how to parent each child individually as who they are and has God made them to be. And Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for what you want to speak to us. Lord, may we be a church with open ears, open hearts, open minds to your word, Jesus. Lord, that we would be hearers and doers of the word. We would be doers of the word, not just hearers, both hands. Lord, that we would hear your, your words and be, be impacted to, to put them into practice, to put them into action. Lord, I thank you that your, that your love for us is here, is present today. I ask that you would encounter us. Open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds. In Jesus' name, we said, amen, amen. amen. The title of my message this morning is The Waiting Game. And I felt from the Lord to, to, to talk this morning on trust and on faith. Probably about a week ago, the Lord began to stir in my heart this, this sermon of trust and faith. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about those moments in our life, the delays, the moments between an encounter with the Lord and the transformation that we often want to see take place. Because how many know we're transformed when we, when we encounter His presence, yes? That the fruit of encountering the Lord, the fruit of face-to-face encounters with Jesus is actually transformation. It's not just that you felt good. And so those kind of in-between moments, the moments in between maybe where we hear a promise from the Lord and we're waiting on the fulfillment. Y'all ever waited for something? Should be everybody in this room. You waited for Chick-fil-A, not very long because they're like professionals. (laughs) If you went to McDonald's, you're waiting a long time. That's on you. Go to the Lord's chicken. Um, But right, we have these moments, these in-betweens, these these waiting games, these waiting periods where we've heard something from the Lord or where we've hoped for something, where we've believed for something, and then we're just in a holding pattern. We're in between. <laughs> and it's, it's hard, isn't it, sometimes? I mean, most of us can't even wait for our Christmas gifts growing up, let alone what the Lord's spoken over our lives. Was there, was there any of those weird people that like hunt, hunted down their Christmas gifts before Christmas? My wife was one of them, yeah? Y'all are crazy. Can't you just wait? My brother-in-law, he would go and he would find the presents that his parents would wrap so that basically they couldn't see what was inside of them because they were so notorious. And so they started carefully unwrapping the gifts, seeing what was inside, and then carefully wrapping them back together so their parents wouldn't know. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, where's the joy in that? And I find out our presents accidentally. Jess is like, you always find out the gifts. And I swear, I'm telling you, church, I promise, it is not on purpose. There we are again, making weird sounds. It is not on purpose. I'm like, Jess, you got to use a different email. Like, don't use my email, my PayPal. You got to use a different uh, debit card or credit card. Call up Stephen, my brother, and just cash app him or something because I'll just be checking a bank statement. I'm like, oh, that's this store. You got me this. And, um, 
But it's crazy, right? It's hard. It's hard to wait. It's, I know for my kids, it's hard to wait. They're so excited. We're excited, right? Remember those days where Christmas, you just, you can't wait. You want nothing else but to rip open those presents. And then you become an adult and you're like, presents can wait. We're going to have breakfast. We're going to hang out. We're going to do all these things. And you're like, mom and dad, stop it. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart what? Sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. So the delay of hope is sickening to the heart, yes? And how many times have we experienced hope delayed? Have we been in those waiting periods? Have we been in those holding patterns? Have we been like, God, I don't see the light at the end of this tunnel. I feel like I'm in this, this place of darkness and I'm waiting on you. But I know you've spoken something. I know you've got good plans for my life and I'm waiting. Turn your Bibles with me, Acts chapter 9. Go to Acts chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to come to a moment of a man named Saul, as we know him, Paul. Saul had just been one of those that was in agreement to have Stephen, one of the followers of Jesus, executed. So already a solid dude. And um, we pick up, that's a joke, and we pick up this, this story here in verse 1, chapter 9, the book of Acts. It says, now Saul, remember he's still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, and he went to the high priest, and he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice crying to him, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he ate and drank, and he was three days, sorry, without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Verse 10. Now there was a certain man, disciple at Damascus, named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, I love this part. He said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call in your name. But the Lord said to him, he said, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. 
And Ananias went away, went his way and entered the house and laying his hand on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and he was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who, who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. And the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. I love this story of Paul's encounter. Paul being a man who was very devout in his faith, who was following the book of the law, the Torah to a T, who was, who was trying everything he could to, to to please God, to follow God, to serve God, to be a great Jew, to be a, the Pharisee of Pharisees, Sadducees of Sadducees, to be a great leader in the Jewish faith. And he was taking it upon himself that these, these Christians, these, these people that are profaning the name of God, his God, that are saying that Jesus is somehow lower, that Jesus, this man, this flesh and bones that walked the earth is somehow the Messiah, He's, he's, he's going after them. And he's gone to the high priest and he said, listen, give me authority to take these men, to bind them and to bring them back to you so that they can see justice, so that they can receive the reward of their sin, so that they can be judged, so that they can be found guilty. And all of a sudden, Paul's on one of these trips, he's on one of these treks, He's seeking out those of the Christian faith. He's, he's like, think about him for a second. What kind of a man he was. Such a devout follower of this faith, of this religion, of, of, of his God, of our God, our Father, but he didn't understand the Son yet, of course. And he's, he's, he's on the road. He's on the hunt. He's on the, he's on the look. And all of a sudden, don't read this timidly this morning, but all of a sudden, a light shines from heaven. A light shines from heaven, and Paul is, is falls to his knees, he's, his eyes closed, ter- terrified, and he hears the Lord. And he's like, who, who is that? Who, who is this Lord? 
and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. And the God part of the Trinity, one with the Son who loves his Son deeply, it's like the very person you were trying to serve, you've been persecuting. And Paul has this incredible transformation, but this incredible encounter with the Lord. But when he, when he wakes, when he not wakes up, when he stands up and when he looks, opens his eyes, he sees nothing, he says. He sees nothing. And I think about this moment, I think about, I think about Paul in this moment who's, who thought he was serving God and all of a sudden has an encounter and he, he understands like, I, I got it all wrong. I somehow missed the mark. I, 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 I don't get it. And so his only response to the Lord, because when we know we're wrong, especially husbands in the room, the only response sometimes is, I'm so sorry, what can I do? What can I do? I've messed it up. How can I help? And that's Paul's response here. He's like, what can I do, Lord? What can I do? And so he goes at the Lord's command and he goes and he waits. And he's in the city. And I, I think about this moment these three days and I wish we could almost like have an insider's view, a play-by-play of those days of Paul's. Find his like hidden journal. What, was, what must have been going through his head as his whole paradigm has been turned upside down? Everything that he thought he knew about Jesus, everything that he thought he knew about the Torah and the fulfillment of that law has been turned upside down. And all of a sudden, wait, Jesus is the Messiah. And he's there, and it says from, from God's conversation with Ananias that he was there and he was praying and he was fasting. And this was, this was a waiting period for him. This was an invitation into the walk of faith, into the Christian life, where he's there and he's praying and he's fasting, and the sun goes down, he finally goes to sleep, and he wakes up the next day, and guess what? He's still blind, everybody. And he's like thinking about it day after day. I just, I think I just saw God or I saw his light. Wait, I think I just heard God. <laughs> and then he's, he's praying and he's fasting again and he goes to bed and he wakes up and he still can't see. Like think about this moment, really take a moment and sit on it for a second. These, these three days of blindness, these three days of waiting. And he has a vision from the Lord that this man's going to come and lay hands on him and heal him. But then again, he's invited so quickly into that journey of faith where I've heard the Lord say, I had an encounter with the Lord. I met Jesus. I've received Jesus. Now I've received the promise from Jesus. This sounds like many of our walks. And now I'm waiting on Jesus in that fulfillment of that promise. And our blindness, it doesn't always look physical. Sometimes our blindness is it's, Lord, I can't see through the pain. I can't see through my circumstances. I can't see through the hurt of my, my brother or my family. I can't see through the financial adversity I've faced. I can't see through the, the loss that I've faced, the sickness that I've faced. But Lord, I just feel blind and I feel like, where are you? And there's an invitation for us into this journey of faith into this journey of trusting the Lord like Paul, that he was so early on in his Christian walk having to believe God in spite of his circumstances, right? He was having to believe God in spite 
of, of, of waking up for these first few days of his, his, I'm a Christian now, being blinded. And having to trust that God was who he said he was and God was going to fulfill his words and his promise to him. That's starting to sound like somebody, maybe the person next to you. So I felt the Lord was stirring and, in, and wanting to encourage us this morning, like, where's our faith at? Where's our trust in him? In our seasons of blindness, in our seasons of, of where our circumstances feel wrong, where we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, where, where things aren't going our way, and where, how's our trust? How's our hope? Have we wavered? Have we allowed our, our selves to grow, our light to grow dim? Or are we renewing our faith in Jesus? Are we renewing our hope and our, self, our hope of salvation in him today? How many know he's on your side despite and in spite of any circumstances? Secondly, I want to look at Ananias here, Ananias. Because Ananias, he looks like a lot like us, a Christian following Jesus, trying to do his best and Jesus asks something of him, the Lord asks something of him, and he tries to convince God why it's a bad idea. Have y'all ever done this? <laughs> that was us when God said, have a fourth kid. I'm not joking. I literally was like, God, I don't think you understand. This will ruin me. And um, but the Lord said, do it. So we had to obey. And similarly, Ananias had one of these moments where the Lord was, was speaking to him, was telling him to do something. And he's like, God, you don't understand. I don't think you know who Saul is. God's like, did you miss something? <laughs> I think I know who Saul is. And the Lord says this, says to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. And I love this. This is what Ananias says. He said, Lord, I've heard about this many, from many about this man. The word has gotten around. I've heard from a lot of people how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call in your name. Somehow he knew. He was scared. <laughs> it's like, you can't possibly mean him, Lord. Lord, send me anywhere except for West Virginia, Lord. <laughs> no, no harm, except Ohio, Lord. <laughs> I'm joking. I love Ohio and West Virginia, but I love North Carolina just a little bit more. But the Lord's like, I have a plan. And I believe that Ananias' waiting period was on the walk. That he's, he's, he's argued, he's tried to argue without his way out of it with God. As we so often probably try to do. He's tried to argue his way out of it, but then he's basically foot by foot, heart pumping, heart pounding in his chest, obeying God one foot in front of the other. I hope this man who has such a reputation to persecute my friends, my family, my brothers and sisters doesn't take my life. And do you, do you think that his faith was encouraged when he got there? When he laid hands on, on Saul? When the scales fell off his eyes? When Saul was baptized? Honestly, do y'all think his faith was encouraged? Yes. 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 But his, his waiting period was in this, was in this walk, was to be obedient despite any fears, despite any doubts, despite shaking his boots. And I love this story. It goes on with many incredible moments just of Paul now. Think about this, a, a brand new Christian 
now being persecuted and his life being threatened and plots to kill him and take his life and being let down out of a basket down a wall. But I love this man's resolve that like, okay, I've, I'm choosing Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it with all my heart, right? And it says that the, the churches that they were, they were walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit and they were multiplied. I want to firstly remind us this morning, I want to remind each and every one of us this morning that we are people of faith, that we are people of trust and hope in the unseen God, that we believe, though we did not see it, that we were not there, that many years ago, a man came from heaven as a baby, lived the perfect life and died on a cross for us, right? And that he went into the grave, took the keys of death itself, and he was resurrected to life and he ascended to heaven, to the throne of God. And that that belief, that hope in him, that, that belief, that conviction in, in that supernatural work that he did is our salvation, right? And that is, that is fundamental to our faith, to our walk as believers, but that's not the ending point. We now have the invitation to continually, daily, weekly walk out our faith to walk out our trust and our hope in the Lord. And sometimes the reality is it gets hard, if we're honest, that, that sometimes that li- those hopes deferred creep in our lives and our heart feels sick. That sometimes the waiting game is knocking us down and, and we're waiting for something and we're waiting for a promise and we're waiting for what we feel like the Lord said or spoken. And we're like, God, this is hard. This is tough. This is difficult. Anybody here? And Paul and Ananias had a small taste of this. Paul, like as a baby Christian, as a baby Christ follower, was already having to walk through this blindness and trusting in this Jesus that he just just all of a sudden believes in now, even though despite persecuting him, is going to make a way for him and take away his blindness. And Ananias had to walk and believe that he wasn't about to lose his life. Or maybe even believe that even if he would lose his life, that God was still good and loved him. It says in the word that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Why? For you're with me. Why do I not fear evil? I don't fear evil because of the belief that he's with me. The very nature of, of that trust and hope in God is that we first have faith that he's with us. I have faith that you're with me. I have faith that you're for me. I have faith that even though I'm walking through things, even though I'm in a waiting game, God, even though I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, I have faith that you're with me, that you have a hope and a future for me, that you have good things in store for me. And this morning, I felt that the Lord wanted to renew our strength today. The Lord wanted to renew our hope and our trust and our renew our vigor today. That you serve a God who is strong and powerful and all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. I said in the first service, I felt the Lord saying that we do not serve a weak gospel. We do not serve a weak and powerless God. And I want to say, looking at this story, I want to say, looking that we are also, our faith is renewed and strengthened through obedience that you can't separate faith and obedience, that to say yes to Jesus is say, to say yes to his voice. 
It says that my sheep know my voice. And the sheep that know his voice are following the voice and the leading and guiding of the shepherd. And we are likened to sheep and he is likened to our shepherd and we follow his voice. And like Ananias in this moment had to kind of, even though he tried to convince God, even though he tried to say, God, you don't understand who Saul is. You don't understand the people that he's, that he's approved of their executions. You don't understand the believers that he's persecuted. But even just in spite of all that, when the Lord said, no, I have a plan for him. I think that Ananias' faith was incredibly strengthened through his obedience. And as we listen to his voice, as we spend time with the shepherd, as we listen to his, his leading, his guiding, we are strengthened in our faith. We are strengthened in, our, in our, that place of knowing that he's good and that he comes through for his kids. So are we following his leading? Or are there places in our hearts and it's okay, he's not afraid of our, he's not afraid of those times it's hard and it's weighing us down. He's not afraid of those moments where maybe our doubts are getting the best of us. Look at Abraham and Sarah in Hebrews 11. It talks about, it talks about Sarah and Abraham and how they had to have faith that God was going to fulfill his promise despite seeing the promise. But when God, when the Lord first showed up and spoke to them and said, you're going to be a mighty nation, Sarah laughed at God. And God was like, why are you laughing? She's like, how is God going to give me a child? I'm of old age. That's ridiculous. But I love in Hebrews 11, you can read it for yourself later, but she's not remembered for laughing in this moment. She's remembered ultimately for how she finished. She's remembered for how she came through and ultimately listened to the voice of the Lord, conceived a child, and for the mighty nation that was going to come through her. You know, how many of us want to please the Lord in this room? Okay, and what pleases God? Obedience, faith. Faith pleases God is what the word says. And what is faith? The evidence of things hoped for, the assurance, the conviction of things not seen. So what if the waiting game, what if those, those moments are what, of where we don't always understand, where we don't always get are, are actually the things that are training you for the future, that are actually the thing that is strengthening your faith? Amen. Because to have, to have everything when we want it, where we want it, how we want it, if Jesus was just to fix all, the do all, the, the microwave Christianity where everything went our way, would the Christian walk require much faith? But as we put our faith and our hope in the unseen, and as we put our faith in God, in, even in the moments where we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, even in the waiting moments, as we put our faith in God, as we resolve to trust him and to know him and to love him, we're strengthened in the Lord. You see, faith is not dependent solely on the outcome. This is not a results-based Christianity. You already got the greatest result you could ever ask for by receiving Jesus, and that's eternity. Anything else is like the bonus on top. That's how I feel about it. But he's good. He's love. He loves us. He's for us. And we get to put our hope and our faith in him. So if your faith has wavered, if your hope, if your trust has wavered, he is for you today and he's renewing your strength. I love that moment with Thomas. Thomas was, was doubting Thomas. 
And he's like, even after Jesus' resurrection, he says, if Jesus himself doesn't show up and show me his scars and show me the holes, I won't believe. And what does Jesus do? He sh- faithful Jesus, he shows up where Thomas is. And he says, hey, Thomas, come here. Come here, buddy. But he does say this. He says, do you believe because you saw? Blessed are those who believe, though they did not see And that is sometimes the Christian faith. There are times we see and there's times we don't, right? How much of life is process? How much of process, as I would say? How much of life is in in process? And we have to watch our hearts in the journey. And we have so many opportunities to walk this out, don't we? When things don't go the way we hoped or thought they would, we face divorce and pain in marriages or when we face financial hardship and somebody in our business screws us over, whatever it is. And we have opportunities to say that, God, when I don't understand, I still choose you. When I don't understand, I still will serve you. When I don't understand, my hope and my trust and my faith is in you. And we like to quote you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, give you hope in the future. But we forget that they were asked to stay in their place of captivity for 70 years. And then the Lord would come and restore them to Israel. But it was this promise that though you are here in Babylon, though you are in your seeming place of darkness, know the plans that I have for you are good. Know that I have a plan to prosper you. Know that I have a plan for hope and a future for you, O people, my people. And that's the word of the Lord this morning, that though you are in a place of darkness, though you are in a place of captivity, the Lord has a hope and a plan for us. And I feel that the Lord is saying, like, remember that, like, he is at work. Remember that God is at work, that he is for you, that he has a plan, that your story isn't finished He's with us to the very end. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And so I want to encourage us to do a, f- a few things in our, in our faith. I want to encourage us to, to continue to draw near to the Lord. We can't minimize or forget the importance of encountering the Lord, of being with the Lord, of being with Jesus, of being in prayer and in worship and I'm sure as many, as many of you in this room would say the same, some of my most cherished moments of the Lord are those moments where I was probably at some of my lowest points and I decided I got to do something about this and I got before the Lord and I put on worship music and the Lord came and embraced me and held me and whispered, it's going to be okay. And those were some of the moments I felt the closest to my God that I ever have in my life. And the promise of the word of God is that as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. I used to love declaring after Jeremiah 29, 11, 29, 12 says, um, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I used to love to declare that over myself. So go to the Lord, be with the Lord, embrace the Lord, be strengthened in our faith. Don't allow ourselves to, the Lord gave me a picture this morning as we we're praying in the, sec- in the first service of the sower sowing the seed, don't allow those weeds that come up to choke you. But be strengthened in your resolve by, by time spent with Jesus in prayer and in worship. 
And secondly, I want to encourage us to stand on the word of God. There's those times where it's like, God, I don't hear you. I feel like I can't see you right now. There are so many incredible promises in this word, in this Bible for us. I loved uh, when, I was a, when I was a teenager, I held on to, I think it was Psalms 37, verse 23. It was, the Lord delights in the lives of the godly. Though they stumble, they will, um, he delights in every single detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. And that was my verse. And I used to teach that to our students in this youth ministry for 10 years, off and on, all the time, because it was like, though you stumble, you will never fall, for the Lord holds you by the hand. That is a promise, I believe, for each and one of our lives. And there are promises in here that we can stand on, stand on his word, stand on his truth, stand on him. So I want to invite you just to stand in this moment. The Lord asked me to preach this a week ago to pre- preach on trust and faith. I just feel like there's some of us in this room that need a renewal of our hope and our trust in Jesus. And I just felt like he's, he's making all things new. He's setting wrong things right. He's restoring our hope and our faith and our trust in him, that he's good, that he's carrying us to the finish line that he's with us, that he's by our side, that he's never left us, he never will. And I feel like the Lord just saying, like, you're not alone. There are those in the room that maybe have felt alone. Maybe you've lost loved ones or family members have become estranged. And the Lord says, you are not alone. He is with you. So just take a moment and examine, let's examine our hearts. Where where are we at? Have we allowed the the waiting game, those waiting periods, that, that hope deferred to bring in about Sickness, defeat, depression. And if that's you, would you just put a hand in your heart and say the simple prayer, Lord, would you come and renew my strength? Lord, come and renew my hope in you. Come and renew my faith in you. That you're working all things for my good. That you have a plan, that you have a future for me. Lord, I'm sorry for the ways that I've I've allowed myself to, to not trust in you anymore. Would you strengthen my trust? Would you strengthen my faith? How many know the Lord's not asking us to conjure up some 
human expression of faith, but it's actually saying the prayer and saying the words, Jesus, would you put your faith in me? It's actually by his power, by his strength, by his might, by his spirit that we can even believe in Jesus. So just say, Jesus, would you just come and encounter my heart?